So last week we started this series and we said that um, we are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers who will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Today we're going to look at a story where Jesus has just finished talking to the woman at the well. If you know your Bible, if you've read any of that scripture, you know that that um, she was a Samaritan woman. He talks to her. They have this big, long spiritual conversation. She gets so excited at the end because Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. She runs to tell everybody in the, the town about him. Well, while, while he's doing all of that, the, the disciples had gone into the town to buy some food for Jesus and the rest of them. And so they naturally, when they get back, they assume Jesus would be hungry. We're going to pick this up in John chapter four, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. So he come, they come back with food. He's finished talking to the lady. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now his answer surprised and confused them. So look what they do in verse 33. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Who brought Jesus a happy meal? Who snuck him some of those fish and chips while we weren't looking? And as usual, the disciples were thinking in physical terms, but Jesus was talking in spiritual terms. They offered him physical food. He gave them spiritual instruction. Look what he says in verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, this doesn't mean at all that Jesus doesn't require physical food. It just tells us that his great passion is spiritual, is doing God's will. And if you go all the way back to when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible tells us that that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so he fasted for 40 days. He was praying. This was right before his ministry. And the first temptation that Satan did, he said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Jesus had to be hungry, and so he said, turn the stones into bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so turning the stones into bread, it would have been within his power, but it would not have been within God's will. He would have been disqualified to be the savior of the world. So whenever Jesus had an opportunity to think about the spiritual or the physical, he always prioritized the spiritual. And it's the exact same thing here in in John chapter 4. He would always prioritize the spiritual over the physical. When everyone else is thinking, fill me, fill me, fill me, feed me, feed me, feed me, Jesus is thinking, fill others, fill others, fill others, feed others, feed others, feed others. And he's saying, what nourishes me is to do the work that my father set before me and to accomplish the task that he sent me to do. I have food that you know nothing about. The disciples were all concerned about consuming. Jesus was concerned about contributing. And so he can, when he contributed to the lives of others, he said, I have a nourishment deep down in my soul that you cannot understand. And you know, we, you and I have to own up to the fact that we are natural beings. We're not supernatural beings until we met, meet Jesus Christ, till his Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And we're dominated by the natural. We're dominated by those things, um, that, that the urges that we have. And when we really get in trouble is when we have a legitimate need that we try to meet in an illegitimate way. For example, go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They had everything. There was one tree they couldn't eat. When Eve saw that the fruit looked good, so it looked good to her eye, she took and she ate it. She handed it to Adam. He took and he ate it. It tasted good. So so if it feels good and it tastes good and it looks good, it can't possibly be wrong. Correct? We know better than that, don't we? For example, sex is good in marriage. Outside of marriage, it destroys lives. Bluebell is good in moderation. 
I just don't know what moderation is. That's my problem. Now, every one of us has weaknesses. Satan knows those weaknesses. He tempts us in those areas and tries to exploit them. And we give in. We can't blame the devil when we give in to temptation. How Have you heard this statement? He's a good person. She's a good person. How many of you have heard something like that? I hear it all the time. Can I drop a truth bomb on you right now? We are not good people. If we were good, Jesus would not have had to die. Look what Paul says in Romans 3, chapter 10. No one is righteous, not even how many? No one is righteous, not one. We're sinful to the core. We're sinful, selfish, self-centered people. Let me give you an example. When was the last time you had to give a two-year-old selfish lessons? When did you call him in, sweetie, come here, come here. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You had to give him selfish lessons? I don't think so. Okay, let me, let me take Seth for an example. You had to bring your, your, your nephew in and say, now I know that you're naturally giving. You want to share with everybody in the world. When I give you your favorite toy, your natural inclination is to share. But what I want to do is I want to teach you to be selfish. Is that what you did, Seth? No, thank you. Do you have to teach a child to be selfish? Do you know you don't, you don't have to teach an adult to be selfish either? We are naturally self-centered. It's natural to think about yourself. It's supernatural to think about others. Jesus is saying, I have a higher calling. By the way, come back and do the same thing in the second service. Seth, thank you so much for, for playing. You contributed. I know, I know what you're saying. Jesus says, I want to contribute to the lives of others. When I do, my soul is nourished. And guess what? If Jesus, if his calling is to feed others instead of feeding himself, if the priority is spiritual for Jesus, that's a higher priority than the physical it's the same for you if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. Now, do I have that commercial in there, Travis? There should be. Look down in the, in the videos. There's a, there's a Big Mac commercial. It's just like 15 or 20 seconds. Y'all remember what the Big Mac, you remember what it was? This was huge when I was a kid. What, is, what does it say? That is, that is not... Never mind. Don't even worry about it. Quit looking. Quit looking. You're making things worse. My fault. I didn't get it into the... Okay, here's what it said. Do y'all remember the commercial when in 1973, somewhere in there, 1970, they started really promoting the Big Mac. And I wanted you to see this because it is... You got it good. To all these patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, sesame seeds, onions. Say that again. To all these patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on sesame seeds, onions. To all these patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, onions, pickles, onions, on lettuce. Yeah. So we used to sing this. That was, that was life-changing. Some of y'all are getting close to God right now, I know. This was a big deal. And, and what it meant was no matter where you went for a Big Mac, you could be in New York, you could be in London, you could be wherever. If you got a Big Mac, what are you going to get? Two all-beef patties, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame... Oh, special sauce. I left out. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Guaranteed. And then in 1973, the hamburger world was rocked when Burger King came out with a new slogan. What was it? Have it your way. It's only the older people in the crowd who know what I'm talking about. 1973. Um, it rocked the hamburger world because here's what they said. Before, before Burger King came out, if you went and ordered a hamburger, you were going to get meat of some kind. I'm not even sure that it was two all beef patties, but that's what they said. Back then, you know, th- th- there weren't as many lawsuits as there are now, but you would get some type of, of meat looking patty. You would get four pickles, two tomatoes, some type of lettuce and maybe ketchup or whatever on a bun. You were guaranteed. But when, when Burger King 
having said, have it your way, they changed the rules. So you could walk in and say, I want extra pickles. I don't like pickles at all. I want mustard instead of ketchup. I don't want mayonnaise. It was, it rocked the hamburger world. This was life changing. You remember John? Okay. Thanks man. John and I. All right. Now, some of you don't understand where I'm going. This is, this is a big deal because suddenly you were in charge. Suddenly the, the customer was in charge and I'm all for customer service. But this idea has bled over into the church. That's why I showed you the Me Church video. Um, it's all about me. Give me what I want or I'm out the door. The mindset has taken over the lo- local church. It's very common to hear people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm church shopping. I'm, I just can't find a church that's right for us. I've been to 79 churches in Palestine and I just can't find one that meets my needs. I don't want to meet your needs. I want to be biblical. And, and if I am biblical and the church is biblical, we challenge you to grow up spiritually. That's the goal of the church. Let me, let me draw a very clear line in the sand. Nowhere in scripture does it say that you're supposed to find a church that meets your needs. You find a church that's under God's authority, that's under the authority of the, whole, of, of the Holy Spirit and, and under God's word, who teaches that word very clearly. You get that in that church and you serve in that church and you make a difference in the world. And if you don't like that, there's several exits. They're marked very clearly. And I want to ask you to get up now and leave and don't let the door hit you in the butt. I told my friend I was saying that in church today and he said, Doug, you need to be a little clearer. You need to practice that. Because let me tell you why. If you're a, I, I need to have my needs fed this, fed, this church needs to meet my needs, you will never be happy here. And we won't be happy with you. So let's just call it what it is. You go somewhere else and find somebody that will spoon feed you till you're a big, fat, lazy Christian. If that's, if that's your goal, go on. Because we're going to be about growing in Christ and teaching others how to grow in Christ. All right? Is that clear enough? So let me just tell you our statement. Here's the statement for this week. At New Life, we are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. We're not consumers. We're contributors. Why are we this way? Because the church does not exist for us. The church is us. We exist for what? The world. The only organization on the planet that exists for people who aren't even coming yet, who don't even know it exists. If you want to understand, if you want to be like Jesus, you have to understand that our food, our spiritual food, is to do the will of God. That will nourish us. Now, you've got a scale on your listening guide. We're going to do this each week of the series. Do not circle a 10 unless you gave your life on the cross for the sins of the world and then you rose again on the third day. If you have some issues thinking you're a 10 in this spiritual contributor thing, turn to the person next to you and say, am I Jesus? And they'll tell you, <laughs> Sorry. You're not Jesus. So don't circle a 10. That's where I'm going with that. Now, let me help you on the other end of the scale. If you walked in, dropped off your children to someone else who is serving you, you're not serving anywhere in the church, but you're benefiting from someone else serving. If you come on Sunday mornings, maybe you get a donut, cup of coffee, you consume something for free. You sit down in a seat that you didn't pay for. You're in a building that you didn't pay for. You're on 42 and a half acres that you didn't pay for because you've never contributed a dime to the church then go ahead and circle a two. I would say one, but the one is the devil, and so we're going to give you a little bit of grace. So circle a two if you're just a consumer. Now, let's say you've been a helper in kids' church one time, or you came to one men's work day, or, or men's Bible study, or you baked a cake one time for a funeral service, then you're a three. We'll, we'll let you be a three. Now, we've got a lot of folks, especially in this service, that are serving two, three, four places in the church. 
They pray for our church daily. They pray for the leaders. They pray for our influence in the community. They are, they are here every time the church is open. They invite people. They're all in. Then you're an eight or a nine. You're not a 10 because that's Jesus. But you can be an eight or a nine. Now, I don't want anybody to look up here right now. This is the point of the service. For the next five seconds, you should be looking down at your listening guide or you should be introspecting in your heart and you should come up with a number. Stop looking at me. All right, if you're a six or below, then you need to pay attention. Because God doesn't want you to be a six. He wants you to be seven, eight, or a nine. So let me give you some truths about the kingdom of God. Just two, very simply, two truths about the kingdom of God. Number one, God calls you to serve in his church. It's not optional. It's not up for discussion. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're gifted and called and set apart to use your gifts to make a difference in his church. And, and the church isn't a building. God never intended for the church to be a building. He intended it for it to be the, the, the people. So we should never say, I, I, know, I know this is innocent. We shouldn't say, I'm going to go to church. We should say, I'm going to worship with my church, or I'm going to a Bible study with my church, or I'm going to serve with my church. I know that's a very subtle thing, but Satan works in subtleties. Because when Jesus walked the earth, you couldn't have land. Christians couldn't have land. They couldn't have buildings. That's why they met in churches, I mean in homes. Um, because you couldn't have land. It was illegal to meet and you could die for your faith in Jesus Christ. And then in 313 AD, Constantine legalized Christianity. And honestly, I think that's one of the worst things that happened to Christianity. Christianity thrives where there's persecution. Christianity seems to wane where there's nothing but financial blessings and acceptance. Hello, United States of America. Go to Haiti where they don't have financial blessings. Christianity's rampant running across. You go to Africa, it's rampant running across the, the continent, but not here because we're comfortable. I'm grateful that we own this property. I'm grateful that we can get together anytime we want to, to worship, to serve. But the church never was, never will be a building. The church is always the people. Now, I want you to see what Paul says to the church in Rome Romans 12, verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. And he's going to list seven gifts. This is not an exhaustive list. There are like 19 different gifts listed in the scripture. None of the scriptures are, uh, none of the passages are exactly alike. That tells me that they're not any of them exhaustive. And I think there's other uh, gifts as well. But here's seven that he's going to mention to the church at Rome. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have some, have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. No one person has all the gifts. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift and there's no one gift that every Christian has. All of that's from study of scripture. Now, let me, let me kind of explain how this would apply to you, and I'm going to give you an apple pie illustration. And when you hear this illustration, your first reaction gives you an idea of what your gift might be. So let's say, for example, I'm eating a piece of pie. We're out at lunch, and I'm eating a piece of pie. It's dangerously close to the edge, and, and you notice that. And when I go to, to slice into the pie, it flops over on my lap. The apple pie just is destroyed, and it gets all over my clothes. If your first reaction is, oh, let me help clean that up, and you immediately spring into action, you start picking things up, you start handing napkins, you start taking everybody else's napkins, then you probably have the gift of serving. If you say, I can't believe that happened, here, let me buy you another piece of pie, you probably have the gift of giving. All right, how many of you would, your first reaction would be to start cleaning? All right, several of you. How many of you would think, oh man, I need to get him another piece of pie? 
There are a few. All right. There's a few. If, if your first reaction is you say, Oh wow, you sit there. We got it. And you start going, Joe, you go do this. And John, you go do this. And Brian, you go do this. And, and you just start snapping your fingers. Let's get this done. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Point at somebody who, who is like that. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Trav, uh, Justin's pointing to me. What'd you say? Oh, he said his wife, Jamie. Oh wow. That was just not bright. <clears throat> We're going to tell you to stop pointing at us. You can tell him, Jamie. Don't you point. We're bossy, but that means you probably have the gift of leadership or administration. Now, somebody else is going to go, you know what's funny? I did the same thing last week, and it was so embarrassing. In fact, they might even, if they were off the charts on this one, they might even turn it over and, and splash it on their lap just so that you won't be alone. Anybody like that? You're an encourager. You have the gift of encouragement. You don't want other people to feel bad about themselves. I see that back there. Yeah, I, I see, I see you. Those of you who would say, Oh, I hurt with you that you lost your pie. I can't even do this with a straight face because this is not in me. This is not my gift, right? But, but when my parents died and, and I called Janie and they came up, Teresa has this gift and Janie will shake her head. Teresa has this gift. Teresa sat out there and she, she just put her heart, arm around me, side shoulder hug and she cried and she was heaving in sobs as she was hurting with me. And it was, it was, she ministered to me through her gift. I don't have that gift. So if you're hurting, I'm calling Teresa and sending them, sending her to your house. Some of you would say, you know what? There's really a better way to eat pie. And I've been studying. In fact, in the, in the Hebrew, the, the name for apple pie is hakashamaka. I don't know. I'm just making it up. And in that word, there's actually seven steps on how you can eat pie better. How many of you are like that? You have the gift of teaching. You're going to, and then, then, then there's the prophetic ones. They're going to say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. How many of you are like that? You just call it like it is. You deserve to have pie in your lap because you're so stupid to have it, right? I mean, those are the prophetic people. You just call it like it is. You hurt people's feelings all the time, but it's truth, and you just can't not tell the truth. <laughs> Here's the point. Now, I hope that helps you understand that, God, if you're a follower of Christ, you have at least one gift. You probably have more, but you have a primary spiritual gift. God has given that to you so that you can serve the church. Your, your gifts, the, in fact, the whole reason you're giving us, given a spiritual gift is for the church. It's not for you. And if you don't use that gift, you'll lose it. God will raise up somebody else who will use the gift in your place and you'll miss a blessing. The church will miss a blessing. So if you're not doing something in the church, there is something that God wants done in this church. That's not getting done because you're being disobedient. God has called every follower of Jesus to serve in his church. That's the first truth about his kingdom. Second truth, God calls you to serve as his church in the world. You're supposed to serve in his church and build up the body of Christ. You're supposed to serve as his church in the world. Look at Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus uses a couple of illustrations here. First, he says, you're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. I cannot read this verse without thinking about the hill. As you come down out of Palestine, you drive to the top of the hill. This is how I tell people to get to our church when they're asking directions. I say, as soon as you pass the city, city limit sign. You're going to go down a hill. You're going to come to the top of a hill. We are a city. We're a church on top of a hill and we're supposed to be liked. 
So he says, no lamp, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Salt delays rot or it, um, it makes something more savory. You know, the only way that salt works is it's not if it stays in the salt shaker. The only way salt works and does what it's supposed to do is when it comes into close proximity. In fact, it has to touch the thing that it's supposed to flavor or the thing that it's supposed to preserve. And if we don't know and love lost people, we are not being salt. We're not delaying rot in the world. We're not preserving. We're not bringing flavor into their life. The other thing is we're supposed to be light. Light drives away darkness. New life is supposed to be in the community, delaying rot, driving away darkness. And how do we do that? By our good deeds. We're to serve in our community in such a way that everyone sees what we're doing and they say there must be a God and those people must follow him. Now, I'm not at all saying that we're saved by good works. You are saved by faith alone. But the scripture is very clear. When you are saved, your your responsibility, your reaction to being saved is to do good things so that other people see your good works and glorify God, not you. In the past seven days, how many people could watch your life and say they're dedicated to God? They have been so involved in serving. They have been so involved in doing other things that there must be a God and they, they must serve him. We're supposed to serve in such a way that people say, why would you do that? And when they ask you that, you're able to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that I might have eternal life, so that the world might have eternal life. And because he gave his son for me, I'll give my life gladly for him. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We're, to call, we're called by God to serve in the church. We're called by God to serve as the church in the world. And see, I just have this dream. I want to be a part of a church that loves others more than, than they love themselves. I want to be a part of a church that serves others more than we have been served. I want to be a part of a church that gives more than we have received. Where every single person serves in the church and serves as the church. I don't want to be a part of a normal church because normal church isn't working. I want to be a part of a debt-free church that has debt-free members so we can do and, and give and serve in the kingdom of God. And, and Dave Ramsey, you know, I'm, I'm going through that class with the people back there on Wednesday nights. Dave Ramsey says, what could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they were debt-free? It's an awesome thing. If you want to be debt-free and you want to serve God with all your heart, get your rear to Financial Peace University on Wednesday night. Because Dave's going to show you. And Dave says, if you follow these baby steps, not only will you become debt-free, you will be able to give in the kingdom like no one else. It's, it's just incredible. I want to be a part of a church where marriages are honored, where marriages are put back together, where, where a lost person can come here any week, and no matter what they look like, smell like, dress like, act like, we're going to love them like Jesus Christ loves them. And we're going to believe that as we teach the Scripture clearly, someday it's just going to pop in their mind, and somebody's going to come forward, like, like Stephanie. I baptized her last week. She said, in the music, it just hit me, and I knew that I wasn't in relationship with God. So she came and she gave her heart to Christ. That's the type of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church where if we were to close the doors, the community would be sad because they would say that church was doing what was right. I have food to eat that you know nothing about, Jesus said. My food is to do the will of him, my father, and to finish the work that he's given to me. The church is not about us. The church is us. We don't exist to meet your needs. We exist to reach the world for Christ. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I just want to ask you, 
How many of you would like to be more of a spiritual contributor than you have been in the last year? Would you just raise your hands? It's a lot of you. The first step is to tell God that you're available. So just right now, say, God, I want to be used by you to make a difference in your church and in the world in this next year. Now, what that means is you may have to rearrange your schedule. Because if Jesus is your Lord, that means he's in charge. Is Jesus in charge of your schedule? Is he in charge of your checkbook? Is he in charge of, of your calendar? He's not going to waste his time with people who are too busy to be obedient to him. I want you to think about this while your eyes are still closed. Jesus didn't go and love on religious people. When they were, when they were arrogant and self-centered and, and they thought they, that religion was the answer, he walked right by them to uneducated, rough, rejected people, the worst of sinners, and he loved them into the kingdom. That's how New Life Community started. That's how New Life Community will continue to act as a church. And this is not up for negotiation. So if you want to be a part of that, then start asking God. Tell him you're available and say, God, where do you want me to serve? Father, we pray that you would change our church into the most mature group of believers that we can possibly be. And we ask that you do this for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen.